Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. Molly Cook, look out. This is going to be a fun one to watch as she challenges the one and only John Whitmer. Uh, that is in Senate District 15. We have a great interview with her. I was excited to talk to this young woman because what I see when I see young people like this run for these positions is the future, the future of what uh, is up for Texas, the future of what we can expect. And she has she has crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. So I want you guys to check out Molly Cook. That's who we're interviewing at the end of the show today. The nerve of Altria. The commercial, have you seen that ad that they put out? Beyond Tobacco. We are going beyond tobacco. We have, we have polluted the lungs of so many people, and now we're going beyond. So we, you pay to get your lungs screwed, and you, you pay us again to fix it. We're going to talk about inflation. You've been lied to about inflation. You've been made to believe that government has something to do with inflation. It's not the private sector. Folks, I want you to listen to this little narrative that I give on inflation in detail. It is imperative so that we can put the right people in there that's going to change policy, not for government, but for those responsible for really creating inflation. And of course, you're going to have a little nicks and necks here with uh, Jen Psaki, uh, where she challenges reporters who have not your best interests at hand. Steve Schmidt, I love my ex-Republican buddy, Steve Schmidt. All Republicans don't need to become Democrats like Steve has become to do the right thing. You can be a Republican and vote appropriately. You can be a Republican and care. You can be a conservative and care. What you should never be is that which does evil to the American people. We are in our winter fun drive, but folks, please stick with me. I'm not just going to give you a fun drive pitch. I'm not just going to be doing a whole lot of pitching and pitching and pitching. I'm going to do a short pitch here at the beginning. I'm going to do a slight little pitch in the middle. And then at the end, a small pitch. It's, don't forget, please support the show. Support the station as well. Why am I asking you to support KPFT 90.1 FM Houston? It is extremely important. Remember that KPFT embraces cultural diversity. We represent the entire Houston, the entire metropolitan area. We represent the entire 
country. KPFT supports programming that's not the status quo. We challenge the status quo. We don't give you what the corporatocracy just want to give you. We are here to tell you not only the truth, but to express it in a way that we all understand. That's KPFT's job. We are not trying to forget the past. We embrace the past. And we are there to celebrate the future because things change. What am I saying? Please remember KPFT 90.1 FM is a gem. We are in the process of moving. We are in the process of relocating to a new space. We need you more than we have ever needed you before to keep this thing going. Over 50 years of giving you great info, not only progressive programming, but alternative uh, programming. What do we mean by alternative programming, we mean things that you are not going to get elsewhere. We also mean telling you the truth about things that others may not want you to know. So please remember, folks, call 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. But even better, visit kpft.org, click the donate button, make sure you select politics done right for the program. The form will give you your donate and gift options. Please get one of my several books out there. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia, take away the economy from those who rigged it for a pledge of $120. Get any two of those books for $200, any three of those books for $250. The Contributions for my books go directly to support our station, KPFT 90.1 FM. Alternatively, folks, please get your basic KPFT-only membership for $40, a Pacifica-only membership for $25, or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution. Just go to kpft.org. Choose Politics Done Right for the program and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station. It is definitely worth it. You know what? Let's get busy. I want to show you this video for a very special reason, okay? Everybody remember, I think it was Philip Morris who got renamed into uh, Altria, okay? But this commercial... Uh, this ad that they're they're playing on TV, fifteen seconds. I'm going to play it in a minute. But I want you to I want you to listen to this ad in detail, and tell uh, it, the the pathology is such their psychopathy is so bad that they don't see the immorality of this ad. I want to play it for you, and then we'll take it on the other side because it's very important. Check it out. Altria is moving in a new direction. From being known as a tobacco company to being recognized as a tobacco harm reduction company. Moving beyond smoking. All right. Do you guys remember Beyond Petroleum? It's, it's, I guess that caught on. Beyond Petroleum. We're no longer going to do all these polluting. But petroleum, the kind of pollution that petroleum does is bad, right? But it, it, it served a useful need. Uh, it, it was responsible for the Industrial Revolution. And we can also mitigate petroleum in the long run if we were to institute policies that 
that fix our past mistakes. Yes, we have killed a lot of people with benzene. Yes, we've killed a lot of people with methane. Yes, we've killed a lot of people with hurricanes and all that. But we can mitigate some of that right now, right? And I understand that. And not only that, we burn wood. We burn a lot of things that throw crap into the air. But this one is the hurtful one. When you have a company that says, I am going to make you sick. This is what this, this, is what this ad says. I am going to make you sick. And then I'm going to cure you from the sickness I caused. That's that commercial. That's that ad. And that they couldn't see that, you know, somebody would interpret it that way in the, in the first place. It's astounding. Here we are Altria. We addicted you to nicotine. We addicted you to heart disease. We addicted you or we made you get lung, lung, uh, all these lung issues. And guess what? We've decided that we're going to go beyond it now. What we're going to do is we are going to cure you from all the sins that we created by making you sick. But there's one catch. There's one catch to this. You paid for us to make you sick. And now you are going to pay us to make you well. The corporation, capitalism at its best. And that many have not seen that. That a publicist who got that commercial shows you the psychopathy. I am, I'm looking at this ad and, and they, they're playing this ad in circulation all over, the, all over the internet, all over cable media. And I'm like, ding dong, don't you see it? You paid us to make you sick and you're going to pay us to make you well. It's astounding. The, the way they think we are so stupid. And you know why they think we are so stupid? Because we have allowed them to think that. So folks, all I'm asking you, let's share these programs. Let's share these things. Let's let people understand all these issues, right? Let's talk about inflation. And this is important because, uh, you know, Eric Ledeau and Ferris, I mean, Eric, uh, Eric Hayes and many others here somehow want to blame government for inflation. Um, the truth of the matter is the government has very little to do with inflation. Now, the Federal Reserve can clamp down on the money supply. Okay? They can clamp down on the money supply to slow the economy down. When the economy slows down, inflation goes down. And why inflation goes down? Because these people who are the thugs have to lower the price of their products so that people start buying them again. Okay, that's how it works. In other words, I increase the I increase the interest rates. There's more money taken out of the economy, all that sort of stuff. Now, what really should cause inflation in a true I want you to I want to talk, talk about three items. Supply and demand, numero uno. Numero dos, price and power. And numero tres, whatever the market can bear. All right? And I'm going to start with whatever the market can bear. What that means is whenever a company is going to price their products, 
the first thing they have to know is what is their break-even spot. In other words, if I'm selling gasoline, I need to know how much that gasoline costs me per gallon. And within that gallon of gasoline is how much does it cost to frack it, meaning to turn it from petroleum into gasoline in the frackers. It also tells me how much I am going to spend to deliver the gasoline, how much I'm going to pay for insurance and all of that kind of stuff to keep the company running. And after I add up all those costs, I divide it into the number of gallons of gasoline that I would sell. And that tells me what my break-even point is going to be. In other words, I have to recover all those salaries that without profit, that's my break-even point. If I sell gasoline at this, this price, I can't go below that or else I constantly lose money. So that's the price of gasoline. Okay, so we're there. We're there at the price of gasoline. Now, Everything else that goes on top of that price, anything that I charge more than what that gasoline costs to manufacture, deliver, and to support the, all the other external costs, that is profit. Now, generally in a capitalist system, what we try to do is maximize profits for the shareholders in other words, get as much money for the shareholders and bonuses for the executives. That's what we try to do. It's very important. Now, but how do we determine how high above our manufacturing and, and delivery costs can be? That is where the other word that I told you about, supply and demand, comes in. We know what the supply is, right? Rather, we know if, if, if a lot of people demand if a lot of people demand this product, we can start charging a very high price, irrespective of supply, right? If a lot of people want it I can, and, and they have the money to do it, I can actually sell. Now, here, here's a kicker, though. If we have competition, right, I have my competition in order to get market share, in order to get me to buy from Exxon as opposed to buying from all the 10 other manufacturers of gas, and we don't have that many, manufacturers of gas, we have to play this game of I lower my price, you lower your price, I lower my... So we get a competition to get to the lowest point above what my manufacturing and delivery cost is. And there's a sweet spot, right, where you drop the price until you have that better price. We're talking all supply and demand right now. But... Under capitalism, right, where I must maximize the profit at all costs for my shareholders and maximize bonuses for my, uh, my executives, what do I do? If I see a company is making some money, I am going to buy that company as best as I can to remove my competition. And when I remove that competition, I, have, I start building a monopoly, and there's a lot of different ways to do it, right? You can buy the company or you can have coercion, which means both of you decide we are not going to drop below this particular price. That's how we do it, right? We cannot drop below this particular price. And that's what we do. So, remember, we're talking three things. Price and power. You have price and power if there is nobody that can compete with you or that can, you have the market. The market belongs to you. You have price and power. Supply and demand. If there's enough, if there, if there is enough demand, 
you and and supply the prices also go down based on there being enough supply for to to meet that demand so that is a restraining restraint on you as well what are we what are we trying to accomplish here or why do i call the private sector the thugs in ties and suits because of the following we just got out of a pandemic people are suffering right and the government decides for those who are suffering we are going to put money in their pockets so that they can do the things that they need to do which means now that we have enough money to chase that abundant supply of gasoline that i mean again we have enough supply but we are going to raise the price of gasoline until that amount of money that the government and others gave to these people to spend till they have exhausted it and what's the what's the maximum amount of money anyone can spend price i mean what is that known as whatever the market can bear what can the market bear for the individual for any individual you or anybody else what can the market bear the total income that you make from your job or maybe from welfare or maybe from whatever your total income there plus whatever you have in savings if you have any savings plus whatever you can get in credit when you have exhausted your credit when you have exhausted the amount that you can spend per month in income and when you can exhaust whatever uh, whatever other sources you have at that point that is where the market freezes and that is where price that is a maximum price that that they can put an object so what do these plutocrats know these plutocrats know that americans were given a lot of money they were given money to get ahead not to pass it right back to the plutocrats inflation however inflation is the way the plutocrats the the the, the legal criminals take back everything that was given to you so when eric hayes come and he says well look uh yes people got their monies uh they they got increased wages but it went with inflation he's right it's the evil thing to do we give you a raise and we raise the price of all these products so in effect we annihilate the raise because again what do these corporations have because there's not ample competition pricing power i did a video on pricing power look it up so what i'm trying to tell all of you folks is this you can't blame the government for something the private sector is predisposed to do and does the private sector is there to make money for a few those who own the stocks in these companies those who own all of this that's who serves the that's who the private sector cares about nothing else and as much money as you have they will raise their prices to maximize whatever they can get from you there are no shortages there, we are swimming in oil saudi arabia can pump more oil if they want to Venezuela we could decide to open up Venezuela and stop the embargo on Venezuela there are there's ample oil all over I don't want as an environmentalist I don't want that oil out there I don't I really don't I'm kind of glad if if the price of oil would go to $10 a barrel I mean $10 a gallon 
Then people really start buying those electric cars and people really start doing all these things that they need to do to burn more. But whenever you go ahead, again, we can regulate inflation by the Federal Reserve increasing interest rates, which is what they're going to do, right? But guess who gets hurt right now? And this is where, where, where I talk about the evil of the economic system. Whenever inflation occurs, who gets hurt? The small man, the little person, they get hurt. All right? Whenever inflation, uh, whenever they start to tighten, tighten money supply, who gets hurt? That same person who has less money. And who always, always, always win? The person with capital. Uh, Daniel Edo said the following, and, 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 and you, know, you know what is very dangerous? What is very dangerous when somebody thinks they know something and does not? Daniel Ledo says, whoa, shocking ignorance on the oil market and how it works. I'm sorry. I know exactly how the oil market works. It's all, it's, uh, it, the, the market is the entire world. That's what, that's what the market is. And that's, the, you know, so I, mean, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's see, stop blaming the government for the economy right now. If we raise the interest rate, there will be a downturn in the economy and there will be a recession. Exactly, Don. Exactly. It is important. But, you know, people don't understand. The only people that hurt the economy, that causes these problems in the economy, it's the private sector. The corporatocracy. The corporatocracy looks to see what's the maximum they can extract. And those who don't have capital don't benefit from the maximum. So let me, let me give an example. I always give the term, the, the, the market system is good for 20% and 80% of the people are slaves. And this is what I mean by that, right? Yeah, a lot of people own a little bit of stocks here and there. But those people who own enough of their well-being in stocks, right? It is okay that all this inflation comes. It is okay that, first of all, uh, whenever, whenever these price increases come, take a look at the stocks. If you doubt it, just look at the stocks right now. As soon as the dollar store said they were going from a dollar store to a dollar 25 store, the stock zoomed. It's not like we had 25% inflation, but they increased the price by 25%, right? It went through the roof. So those people who had stocks did very well. They did way above inflation, but the person who had to pay the increased cost in interest rates, in the inflated prices, they're the ones who pay the price. So my thing to Democrats right now who are going out there is they don't need to be scared of inflation as something that's going to take them down. They need to go ahead and attack the corporations now. They need to shame the corporations and point out that it is a defect in this capitalist system which needs to be changed that actually creates a system that pilfers whatever gains Americans get. Because if Americans make gains and are making more money and you go ahead and price your product because there's more money out there, I can increase my price even though there's not a shortage. That is how the system works. It's not even wrong. It is by design that the system works. It is by design. Don't forget, please support the show. Support the station as well. 
Why am I asking you to support KPFT 90.1 FM Houston? It is extremely important. Remember that KPFT embraces cultural diversity. We represent the entire Houston, the entire metropolitan area. We represent the entire country. KPFT supports programming that's not the status quo. We challenge the status quo. We don't give you what the corporatocracy just want to give you. We are here to tell you not only the truth, but to express it in a way that we all understand. That's KPFT's job. We are not trying to forget the past. We embrace the past and we are there to celebrate the future because things change. What am I saying? Please remember KPFT 90.1 FM is a gem. We are in the process of moving. We are in the process of relocating to a new space. We need you more than we have ever needed you before to keep this thing going. Over 50 years of giving you great info, not only progressive programming, but alternative pro- uh, programming. What do we mean by alternative programming, we mean things that you are not going to get elsewhere. We also mean telling you the truth about things that others may not want you to know. So please remember, folks, call 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. But even better, visit kpft.org, click the donate button, make sure you select politics done right for the program. The form will give you your donate and gift options. Please get one of my several books out there. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia, take away the economy from those who rigged it for a pledge of $120. Get any two of those books for $200, any three of those books for $250. The Contributions from my books go directly to support our station, KPFT 90.1 FM. Alternatively, folks, please get your basic KPFT-only membership for $40, a Pacifica-only membership for $25, or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution. Just go to kpft.org. Choose Politics Done Right for the program and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station. It is definitely worth it. I want you to see how even even the vice president's chief of staff couldn't quite rid himself of the fascist nature of the Republican Party, even as he's looking for plausibility in case the fascists lose. Check this out. We'll take it on the other side. Uh, let me start with the motivation of your former boss, um, Vice President, former Vice President Pence, and why this week did he choose that he chose to give a big form to this this week. Why? Well, Chuck, I think that, uh, as you mentioned, the vice president has commented on January 6th on several occasions, including last summer at the Ronald Reagan Library. Um, and he extended those remarks a little bit this week at the Federalist Society, primarily because the, the president's comments about uh, the, pr- the vice president had the ability to overturn the election, I think, merited response. There, of course, there's nothing in the 12th Amendment or the Electoral Count Act that would afford a vice president that authority. It's why no vice president in 200 years has ever used that authority. 
authority, and it's certainly not one that I think conservatives or Republicans would want Kamala Harris the ability to say she's going to reject votes from Texas or Wyoming or any other state heading into 2024. Well, why did he stop there? Why didn't he say, look, it's been a year. Uh, there's just no evidence out there. This was a free and fair election. Um, the Trump-Pence ticket lost. How come he didn't go that far? Well, Chuck, I think like a lot of people, the vice president has significant concerns about the election. I think in because of COVID. Still? Because of COVID, sure. I think that a lot of us do. But there's been, there's been no evidence there's, of fraud. There, there you, could disagree, was, you could disagree on the election law. But, yeah. not, but yeah, I, so I understand I think, that. But. So I think there were significant concerns about what transpired in Pennsylvania, what transpired in Wisconsin, what transpired in Georgia when you said you had a matching signatures. You didn't. You had election officials overruling state officials and saying, we'll keep the balloting open, allowed universal access and in balloting. But at the same time, the Constitution is clear as what that process is. You're afforded a chance to challenge. You're afforded a chance to bring legal challenges. But at the point of the Electoral College meeting on December 14th, at that point, the process is concluded. And that's why the Constitution wanted the states the ability to certify elections and not for the federal government. Do you believe Joe Biden was a legitimately elected president? Does the I, former vice president I believe, believe I believe that Joe Biden is, is duly elected president of the United States. Yes. Legitimately so. The election was legitimate. I you may disagree with voting procedures, but the election itself I, was legitimate. No, I mean, I think that's the same, it's the same question. I think that there were significant concerns about the process of that election that's mm-hmm. gonna that's gonna create a cloud. Um, but I think Chuck at the same time, to your point, the campaign had opportunities to bring that evidence up mm-hmm. till December fourteenth and didn't. And so I think at this point you have to assume that he was duly elected. And the reality is that there was not enough significant fraud that was presented that would have mm-hmm. overturned any of those states' elections. Doesn't it say a lot that a year later that any that actually the more evidence has shown that no fraud happened. I mean, doesn't that even reinforce this even more a year later? As I said, I think there are significant concerns, and I'm glad many states are looking to rectify, Chuck, but I, I acknowledge that the president's duly elected. So as you can see, even as he understood, even as he understood what went on on January 6th, even as he understood that it's a big lie, he still had to try to mitigate it somehow right? That just maybe there were really some problems elsewhere. Well, as I've stated before, yes, we've seen voter fraud before. Yes, even during this election, there was voter fraud. Unfortunately, all the voter fraud that has been uncovered thus far has been uh, Donald Trump voters trying to vote twice or trying to use dead people to vote. It's amazing how projection works. The things that you are accusing others of are the things that you actually do yourself. What I want to do first is show that there are good pro-past Republicans out there that want the Republicans to reclaim their party. They want to ensure that we don't have this uh, one-party monopoly at all or that we have a group of people that are completely confused. So let's go ahead and listen to Brother Steve Schmidt. Love the guy. Steve, what explains the difference today on this question between Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy? Well, this division between the two, Lawrence, has been clear from the very beginning. Um, you know, Mitch McConnell tried to distance as 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 much as he would or or could uh, after the January sixth incident. Kevin McCarthy famously went down to Mar-a-Lago. In those early days, what Republicans were most worried about was the cash flow the campaign cash. Uh, Mitch McConnell believed that 
Uh, the insurrection would uh, obliterate Republicans' ability to raise money from corporate donors. Uh, Kevin McCarthy took the opposite bet. He wanted to in, uh, make sure that the Trump pipeline of cash was intact. Uh, and so right from the beginning, they've just have approached this issue differently. You know, Mitch McConnell today uh, said the obvious, which is that this was an insurrection, had a political intent. It was aimed at disrupting the peaceful transition of, of power. Um, at the In the next breath, Mitch McConnell said when he was asked a question, do you have confidence in the chair, chairwoman of the Republican Party, uh, who was the head of the organization that said violence is legitimate political discourse? He said he did. You know, so it's all double talk. It's double speak meant to obscure the reality that we have a two party system. And one of those two parties has become an autocratic vessel in the United States. We don't live in Sweden where there's 18 different Democratic parties and that the loss of one of them to autocracy, whether it's a left party or a right party, isn't such a big deal. When you have a two party system, it's an enormous deal. It's a threat to the continuation and survival of the republic. And and the fact of the matter is this Republican Party is a coalition that includes fascists, proud boy extremists, uh, neo-Nazis. Uh, people filled with racial animus, and they're all part of a coalition. And of course, those parts cannot and do not fit together. Uh, but nevertheless, it's a convenience coalition because they seek to get back into political power. And you cannot let these people back into political power under any circumstances until the autocratic movement inside that party, which dominates it completely, is underground. In effect, what he's telling is telling good people of America, good Republicans included, at this point in time, a vote for Republicans is a vote to turn the country into a fascist state. And until that fascist nature of the Republican Party is underground, you oh, you will be unpatriotic. Any any vote for any Republican at this point in time, and this is something that I don't generally say absolutely, but I'm saying it now, any vote for any Republican at this point in time is a vote for fascism, because once they have control of the levers, there's absolutely nothing that's going to actually stop them. If you look at the meek ones who don't believe in this stuff, but ju- but they are willing to appease Trump. You're willing to appease those with the fascist intent. One cannot vote for Republicans in the next go round and consider themselves a patriotic American. That's an absolute statement. Jen Psaki looked like she wasn't in a very good mood today, but you know what? It was great because as you know what's going on in Ukraine with Russia and America trying to get people out, etc., she asked a really silly question. Why is it that uh, under Biden, this is the second time you're asking people to evacuate? Again, the worst thing a reporter can do is go to a press conference and prove how uninformed, how ignorant they really are. Well, I want you to listen to how Jen Psaki handled her, and then we'll go ahead and take it on the other side. 
We don't know if Putin has made up his mind. Why are we hearing this warning from Jake Sullivan that Americans should get out, ideally within the next 24 to 48 hours specifically? I don't believe we've heard that window from him before. Uh, because I, we recognize that if President Putin were to decide to invade, that this would make it a, uh, a very difficult uh, circumstance on the ground for American citizens. We don't have an assessment, as, he, as you heard him say, of him making that decision. But he could make that decision at any point. And we want to be very clear and direct with American citizens about the risk that uh, that would pose to them, uh, that the risk the risk that would be posed to any civilian if they remain uh, in the country. And this is now the second evacuation of Americans. Um, in the it's not actually an evacuation, to be clear. American citizens can depart Ukraine. There are means of departing uh, Ukraine. This is not a country where we are at war, where we have tens of thousands of troops who have been fighting a war for 20 years. So it's incredibly different. Correct. You are correct in that. But we're, it's the second time we've urged American citizens to get out of the country. Actually, we've, we've urged American citizens to depart a number of times. Uh, and that is... Well, I think this... But, but let me finish here, because I think it's important for people to understand. We urged American citizens to depart Kazakhstan. We urged American citizens to depart Ethiopia. This is a responsibility that the State Department and our diplomat, diplomats who are serving there and serving around the world take on to keep American citizens safe. Uh, and it may, it may not be front and center on the news in the United States, but those are conflict areas and zones where we are constantly monitoring. But these are the two major events that have happened under this administration. And what do you I would say the people say? In, in Ethiopia would differ with that, as would the people in Kazakhstan or other parts of the world where uh, there has been they have been under dangerous uh, circumstances and they look to the United States to provide up-to-date information of uh, their safety and security in the country. I mean, it is shameful that they just think the only thing that occurred in the rest of the world so far was Afghanistan and, and Ukraine. It's ridiculous, right? So Jen Psaki said, look, silly girl. Remember this. We told people to get out of Ethiopia. We told people to get out of uh, Kajistan. We told people to get out of all these places. But that you guys in the, in the news media can't walk and chew gum. That you guys in the news media only concentrate on particular issues that particular Republicans may want you to think about. That's not our fault. It's not our fault that you lack the the, the intensity, it's not our fault that you lack the depth to actually know what's going on in the world. So let me school you, little girl. This is exactly what you need to know, because as it turns out, the American people need to know the truth and not the news media spun by folks who do not do the research, for, uh, spun by folks who really know, do, do not understand what the hell is going on in the world as they play as if they are serious reporters. Today, we have a very special guest. She is running to defeat an incumbent, a strong one at that, Senate District 15, the one and only John Whitmer. So who do we have with us? None other than Molly, Molly Cook. Cook. <laughs> Molly, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Well, let me tell you something. When uh, you decided to join this race and you decided to go big, didn't you? I did. I did. It felt right. Well, I, not only did it feel right, it is time. The time is actually right for us to change the definition of leadership in this country. So I, I'm happy that, uh, that, that, that you're doing this. First of all, let's start a little bit about, uh, tell, tell me a little about you. What kind of person are you? How did you grow up? Where did you grow up? That sort of thing. 
Oh, great. So I grew up in the Northwest suburbs. I grew up in spring near Klein High School um, with my parents, older brother, younger sister. And um, I went to high school in the Woodlands at College Park High School. Most people don't know that one, but um, high school in the Woodlands. And then I did uh, undergrad at UT and actually started as a music performance major and ended up switching into nursing. It didn't feel right to spend time in a practice room by myself for hours a day. I really wanted to be a nurse and achieve um, what was basically a childhood dream of being a nurse. And uh, the first time I ever wanted to be a nurse was in seventh grade. And my pastor's <laughs> wife was the dog. Hey, it's real. It's good. It's good. It's real. We're real. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the pastor's wife at my church was actually the nurse at my junior high. And I spent a lot of time in her office and I saw her respond when a kid actually cracked his head open on the, on the playground one time. And she, this is gross little TMI, but she came in carrying like a trash bag full of like blood. And <laughs> I thought that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I want to be the person that you call when an emergency happens. And so that seed was planted and I did end up becoming an emergency room nurse, which was my dream. Well, you know, um, especially in these times, I think um, I think there are two professions that I really uh, revere. That is teach, <clears throat> teaching and nursing. And the reason why is that you just look at the history of, of, of the things of what we need right now. And those are just our basic needs. Now, you decided to um, just well, well, first of all, activism isn't new for you at all. Tell us a little bit about how you've been engaged the community before, you know, many people think, you know, decide I want to be a politician and I just go in there and I, I want to get votes, but uh, very few people really earn, deserve the right to earn the vote. Tell us some of what the things that you've done. Yeah. So when I moved back, I got a, um, let me, let me start. I was an emergency room nurse because I wanted to be able to deal with emergencies, but also because you get to really understand what's going on with folks. Um, I always say that the emergency room in jail is where people end up when we don't know what else to do for them. And it was very eye-opening. And so I was motivated to learn more about how I could help people and got a master's in public health. And when I moved back to Houston, ready to get to work, I was looking for ways to get involved in air quality. And that's how I found my way to the I-45 fight. And the I-45 fight has been the most meaningful and fulfilling work of my entire life. And it's been really exciting because we've, A, been really successful. That project is still not expanded. And B, we worked across diverse groups uh, across the city, county, every area affected by I-45 and worked together lockstep, which, um, you know, a lot of people talk about nonprofit work. People end up siloed. They don't work together well. We didn't see that at all. It's been, um, it's been really really cooperative work um, with a lot of people. And what I was excited to bring to that fight, uh, I remember showing up to the first meeting and saying, well, is this, is this an election issue? It was during our city elections at that time. And then they were like, will you chair the elections committee? <laughs> so, so, you know, you show up, you end up doing, you end up in target. But anyway, um, and that was kind of the first thing I offered. And then we did a bunch of door knocking. So I organized, um, you know, I said, why aren't there residents in this room who are directly affected? And so I organized door knocking and we went out and this was um, largely in 2022 when the pandemic was kind of in full throw for all of us. We didn't know what was going on, but door knocking was still a safe activity to do. So we spent a lot of time organizing that. We hit as many doors as we possibly could that would be affected by the expansion. Um, started translating everything into Spanish so we could reach folks in the language they preferred to be reached in. 
and the group grew and we built a real grassroots resistance. It was very exciting. Now, SD15, uh, you, you get elected, you won the election and you not only win the primary, but eventually you win the whole thing and you, you, you go to Austin and you're going to support that particular district. There's a whole lot of needs in the entire state of Texas, um, but specific to your district. What's one of the first things that you intend to go ahead and do for your um, constituents and the constituents of Texas as a senator? You're responsible for the whole darn state. Yeah, absolutely. One of the first things, and so if I win in the primary, um, you know, we have a safety district and I won't stop campaigning. We, we have to make sure, right, this, this doesn't flip, but I will have the opportunity to start fundraising and, and knock doors for other candidates who will have a more competitive general. So that would be very exciting to continue to get out the vote in the district and make sure that our Democrats are, are showing up and feeling powerful at the polls and then moving into the session as well. And of course, I'll start preparing for the session, kind of what kind of bills do we want to submit on day one and, and who we want to partner with and what kind of relationships are we building? Um, you know, with a public health background, I have a unique preparedness to really look at what are the needs and what are the assets of the district? Um, why are there problems? Where are their successes and how can we build on those? So that is the work that would begin after the March primary if I were to win. And it really is a very diverse district in every sense of the word. In this neighborhood, you only hear about flooding. In this neighborhood, you hear about schools. In this neighborhood, you hear about, um, you know, displacement. And in every neighborhood, you do hear about voting rights. It's a big concern that's been at every single door. So all of those issues are near and dear to my heart. I want to focus on public health and public safety and what that means can be very broad, right? You know, what makes us healthy? What makes us safe? And it's not just the obvious things a lot of the time, and it's things like environmental justice. And that's sort of the why we do anything. You know, it needs to be equitable. It needs to be outcomes focused. So environmental justice is a core value. And then um, I believe in the power of organizing. And that would be something that I would bring that I see missing from the Texas Senate is really a focus on organizing, on making sure that whoever is in Austin, folks feel powerful to advocate for themselves, uh, are educated on the process and where they can be involved and where they can speak up for themselves, and then supporting people in advocating for themselves and um, you know making contacts across the state so we can shape change in whatever issue areas are important to folks. Now, Molly, that's a candidate and the candidate message Every single candidate, not only on the state level, not only on the local level, but on a national level, that's what I would like to hear out of them, that they are going out there to organize and they're going to talk to the people, bring the people in. One of the problems that I find that we have is people all want to govern in the abstract. They don't want to go into the neighborhoods. They don't want to go into the barrios. They don't want to go into the ghettos or all these other places. And it seemed to me like you're ready and willing to go now. Uh, when the Chronicle decided to endorse, I, I wanted to get a full picture of all these issues. And I found it a bit insulting and pathetic that one of the reasons to keep somebody in office is he's been there and he has experience of having been there without saying, did he fight for uh, monies that was already allocated for Texas, the Medicaid expansion to the Affordable Care Act? which uh, because as a state we have refused it has continued to kill a bunch of texans you don't have to use those words you're a politician now and you have to you're responsible for knowing how to say things 
But in that light, we have a legislature in Austin that does not have the best interests of the citizens at hand. How are you going to use your power of organizing to let people understand? Because uh, let me back up. This is a long question, but I have to ask it in this manner. If tech, Texans are intelligent, our populations intelligent, just uninformed or misinformed. There is money on the table already paid for by Texans to give all our indigent care, to give those with a low salary care. Nobody knows it and nobody is telling our citizens that. How do you intend to do it without them without allowing them to caricature your support for such a uh, for such a bill? I would be so excited to go around the state to make sure people are aware, to go into every neighborhood. I see a lot of opportunities, specifically with Medicaid expansion, transportation reform. Um, I can tell you com- with total confidence <laughs> that there are a lot of people mad at TxDOT across the state in all kinds of different communities, whether that is suburban, urban, or rural. Um, and then, of course, with education. The state is failing all of us in all three issue areas, and people are upset about it. Um, you know, whether it's broadband access or Medicaid expansion, the people want it. 70% of Texans want Medicaid expansion, but I think fewer than 45% even knew that we were one of 12 states to opt out of it. You know, there, like you're saying, there's an education gap there. So um, I am a working person. I'm a nurse. I clock in and out of my job. I see what's going on with folks. I'm doing the real work. And I feel confident that I could make a difference going into communities and making sure people know. And, you know, if if there's a Republican legislator or a Democratic legislator who is not representing the will of their people, then let's talk to their people. You know, let's have people talk to people um, and shift power. I'm not interested in holding on to power and keeping it centralized. I'm interested in making the people powerful so that we can really shape this change. So I think it looks like getting in your car, going down the road and talking to people and doing that um, nurturing and loving work that it takes to build an organization. Now, as a nurse and someone who knows it, it seems like you are... I don't know how it's saying English, sumamente cualificada, as you are ultimately, uh, that you, you're definitely uh, qualified to challenge the, your, the current senator on that particular issue. And not only that, to garner support from his base on, on specifically on healthcare, but all the other issues that you just mentioned, both transportation and otherwise. Um, are you, do you have the, what it, do you have the resources to really take care of getting your message out in the form that reaches all those who are voting? I would say yes. And I would, um, our campaign has already showed that, you know, we, um, I can proudly say that today we've knocked over 47,000 doors and that is with, um, a pretty much all volunteer team. Um, you know, we, we've, definitely uh, fairly compensate the canvassers who are um, working for us, but everybody else is a volunteer on the team. And we've knocked that many doors. We have over a hundred volunteers. So that is, you know, that's just the campaign. That's us starting day one with $0 and one volunteer, right? (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. the movement we've been able to make since December 13th. And um, the district is being reached in ways that it's never been reached before. 
you know, the incumbent's website is still only in English. Ours is in English and Spanish. Um, and with a little more resources, we'll get it in Vietnamese so that we can reach more people and, and more languages. Um, we have spoken to people like a woman in Spring Branch who told us her door has never been knocked on before. So the work of earning trust is slow right? You have to show up and you have to show up over and over again. And you have to give before you expect to receive. And you have to be willing to uh, show people, make them feel heard. And the way they feel heard is by you acting on what they've told you, right? So um, I'm really confident in my abilities, basically with or without resources to do this work, because I've been doing this work. But with resources that would come with the state Senate seat, I know that we can make change. Well, look, um, I always ask this is the last question and that and it's a free for all for you. And that is uh, tell me what would you have liked me to ask you whether one, two, three, ten questions that you want to concentrate in one answer and let me know, let let the audience know what they need to know about you and how they can reach you. Okay. I would say just what is my what's the most because a lot of people ask what's your what's your main priority, right? And and the answer really is that it's not my priorities, it's it's whatever the priority of the people are. So the way I kind of translate that is bottom-up planning. So whether we're talking about policies, projects, or programs, we have to take a bottom-up approach to planning. And we don't do that in Texas. It's very top-down. And to do bottom-up, you have to center affected communities from the very beginning. So if you're building a freeway, you don't come in 20 years into designing it and ask them where they want an exit. You show up day one and say, Mm -hmm. hey, you would lose your homes. What should we do? Um, so that is my value. I really do believe that people are smart and people need to be involved, that diversity creates the best outcomes and that everyone needs a seat at the table. And I'm committed to that. And then uh, to find us and to find out more, you can go to mollyfortexas.com. All words, no numbers, mollyfortexas.com. And then we're Molly for Texas across all social media as well. And you can really get a feel for who I am and what we're working on. Molly Cook, Senate, the State Senate District. 15 uh she's she's going to be known pretty soon maybe as the incumbent killer (laughs) thank you so kindly for having been on politics done right thank you so much don't forget please support the show support the station as well why am i asking you to support kpft 90.1 fm houston it is extremely important remember that kpft embraces cultural diversity we represent the entire houston the entire metropolitan area we represent the entire country kpft supports programming that's not the status quo we challenge the status quo we don't give you what the corporatocracy just want to give you we are here to tell you not only the truth but to express it in a way that we all understand that's kpft's job we are not trying to forget the past we embrace the past and we are there to celebrate the future because things change what am i saying Please remember KPFT 90.1 FM is a gem. We are in the process of moving. We are in the process of relocating to a new space. We need you more than we have ever needed you before to keep this thing going. Over 50 years of giving you great info, not only progressive programming, but alternative uh, programming. What do we mean by alternative programming, we mean things that you are not going to get elsewhere. We also mean telling you the truth about things that others may not want you to know. So please remember, folks, call 713 
713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. But even better, visit kpft.org. Click the Donate button. Make sure you select Politics Done Right for the program. The form will give you your donate and gift options. Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT on your mind. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support. That is there to provide that nourishment that we need. KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. You can listen and or watch Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politicsdoneright or on YouTube Live at politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My Twitter handle is at Egberto Willis, at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L. I-E-S. But don't you forget, listen to us live on air at KPFT 90.1 FM on Thursdays at noon and at Fridays at 11 a.m. all central time. Please get one of my several books out there. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia, take away the economy from those who rigged it for a pledge of $120. Get any two of those books for $200, any three of those books for $250. The Contributions for my books go directly to support our station, KPFT 90.1 FM. Alternatively, folks, please get your basic KPFT-only membership for $40, a Pacifica-only membership for $25, or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution. Just go to kpft.org, choose Politics Done Right for the program, and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station. It is definitely worth it. Well, folks, that's it for today. You know how I'm going to end this baby. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right, and you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E. 